0: Again, open your Bibles to Philippians, chapter four. Philippians, chapter four. Last week, Paul began teaching us about how to have spiritual steadiness in our in our life, and and if there was ever a message that, that our world needs right now, it's it's this one. I mean, we we live in an anxious world, don't we? And sadly, though, most people have no idea what to do with the anxiety that that they have, including the the so-called experts. Uh, I did some research this past week on some secular ways from psychiatrists of how to get rid of anxiety, and this was the the brilliant advice that, that I was given. Rather than trying to stop or get rid of an anxious thought, give yourself permission to have it. But put it off, uh, put off dwelling on it until later. Do this by creating a worry period. Choose a set time and place for worrying. It should be the same time every day, like from 5 to 5.20 p.m. But early enough that it won't make you too anxious right before bedtime. During your worry period, you're allowed to worry about whatever's on your mind. The rest of the day, however, is a worry-free zone. And I read that, and I thought, yeah, that'll work, won't it? I mean, people actually pay money for that kind of of advice. I had anxiety whenever my heart was out of whack, and it didn't wait for my 20-minute worry period. uh, And it didn't need permission to come. It just came upon me. Well, thankfully, Scripture has a biblical prescription for spiritual steadiness, and it's available 24-7. And it it it's actually part of these joyful instructions that Paul gives to the Philippian churches in verses one through nine. There are actually nine commands listed in these in these verses, all given in a staccato uh, type of, of fashion, all with a reminder of the empowering grace that's embedded that 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 we have, so that we're able to, to obey. And 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 as you remember, it it starts in verse one. The overarching command is stand firm in the Lord and. And then he exhorts us how to fulfill that, that command. Stand firm in the Lord in, in this way, the hutos in Greek, which points to the rest of the list. We said you could think of it as a, as a how to stand firm or what will bring spiritual stability in your life. So after a passionate plea for unity, in verses 1 through 3, Paul provides this prescription for steadiness in your soul in verses 4 through, through 7. If you want steadiness in your in your soul, the Bible says that you need four things. Joy in the Lord, gentleness in circumstance, confidence in God, and to be prayerful in response. Now if you were here last week and and you wrote down these 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 four prescriptions and you only got three and you thought, "Did pastor lose his mind?" No, I intended to give you number 4 today because it is a significant part of the of the text, it's massively encouraging. We're to stand or to endure in faith until the Lord comes, and we do that by being joyful and gentle and confident and prayerful. And Paul gives this first prescription about uh, about spiritual steadiness. It's, he says it's joy in the Lord and. And verse 4, rejoice in the Lord again, I will say rejoice. It has a resolution to rejoice. It's a relationship. You rejoice in the Lord. It has a reach in every circumstance. And then there's a, there's a repetition again, uh, I say. We said last week rejoicing in the Lord is, is not just a, a positive mental outlook, but it's a spiritual work. It, it's an expression of faith. It's an intentional activity That's an expression of what you believe, not what you feel, which is why it's not circumstantial. Then Paul gave us a second prescription. He said that spiritual steadiness comes from uh, being gentle in, in circumstance. A believer has a tolerant disposition. You're not tolerant of error, but you are tolerant in your disposition, even toward those who are outside of truth. And that leads you to the target of display. Settiness, for a believer, comes from a gracious humility that produces a balanced outlook toward life and a gracious display to all men. You stand resolutely on the Bible without compromise, but you do that winsomely, unshaken by anyone who rejects it or doesn't believe it or comes against you because of it. And then the third prescription, by way of review... Paul says you need confidence in God, and that's where we left off. You would at verse 5. He says, The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's There's two commands there, but but they, they connect to each other. So Paul says you have to start with confidence in God. And, and that is expressed in this prohibition stop being anxious is it the Philippians already already were and the sentence right before it gives you the grace to obey it the Lord is near he's close to you and so that's the prohibition against worry but what are we supposed to do when when worry comes what will combat the kind of anxiety that that Paul is talking about here that whenever you have it. I mean, you may have come last week and, and heard everything that God said and left with the questions, but what do I do whenever I do worry? I mean, you, you might have been encouraged by the, by the truth, the Lord is near. You understood clearly that God commands us not to be anxious. You may have even felt a greater weight of when he says, don't be anxious, you know, in, in anything. And then you thought to yourself, but I do worry sometimes, and sometimes a lot. But what do I do then? Well, that's the fourth prescription that, that Paul gives, and it's found in verse 6. The fourth prescription for spiritual steadiness is to be prayerful in response. Look, if, look if you would, at how verse 6 continues. Be anxious for nothing, but notice the adversative, but... And Paul begins to give the biblical antidote for worry. He, he, there's an action that's commanded here, there's an attitude that's called for, and then there's an assurance confirmed. Now, this is not, just to be clear, a one and done. This is a biblical response to anxiety. And by practicing this, you will find the peace of God will replace the anxiety that comes into your heart because of you live in a fallen world. And he says, let, let nothing worry you. That's the prohibition. Tell God what your requests are. That's the, that's the command. And then he gives specific instructions about how to fulfill that command. In everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. That's how you pray. And that brings a comforting promise in verse 7. The peace of God that will guard or garrison your, your heart and, and mind. So after telling us what not to do... Paul contrasts that with the action that we're we're commanded to fulfill. And the command is we're to tell our request to God. Everything else is how you're to do that. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. How do you respond to anxiety? You go to God, you pray with a submitted heart, and you rest in his all-surpassing, guarding peace. You say, that's it? Yes, that's it. The, the fact that you ask if that's it may be one of the reasons that you're still having anxiety. And I'll show you that in the verse. One definition I read about worry was this. Worry is expending mental energy on things that you can't change or can't change right now. One of the things that you'll realize the longer that you live is there are way more things that you can't control... <laughs> than things that you can and the things that you spend mental energy on those things that you can't control that's worry and you should do what you know to do but worrying is knowing what not knowing what to do beyond that and trying to do it anyway it's like riding a mental bicycle around in circles d james kennedy says uh, said worry is paying interest on a debt you don't have yet I mean, when you're looking to buy a car, you're shopping for a car, you don't, uh, the minute that you start shopping for a car, you don't start sending the bank an interest payment before you ever purchase it. Worry works the the same way. You cannot transport yourself into the events that that may be weighing on your heart even later this week or later this month or what's going to happen on November 3rd or what's going to happen five years from now or next week. You, 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 you can't do anything about that. But worrying is expending mental energy about that anyway. You can and must vote and do so with biblical conviction, but after you do that, you, you really have very little control over the outcome. Worry is that nagging concern in your heart that distracts you as you go about your day. My friend Joel James says, it's, uh, living with worry is like, is like watching a t- uh, one of those picture-in-picture TVs that allows you to watch two shows at once. Uh, you've got the main show on the, on the big part of the screen, but, but you can't pay complete attention to it because you've got this little box down in, in the corner. There's another show that's drawing your attention away. That little box down in the corner is worry, calling your attention away from the, from the main event. There's several reasons that, that we worry, but there are two primary biblical reasons that, that worry creeps in our, in our hearts. Number one is a demand for control, and number two, there's a deficiency of faith, a demand for control. We want control of things that, that we don't have the ability to control, or we, we lack a faith that the Bible says that, that we should have. One's the sin of commission, the other's the sin of, of omission. Worry can come from demanding control that, that's not really ours to have. Have you ever done that? Or it can come from lacking the faith that we should possess as believers, faith about who God is, that he's good, that, that he is in control of our lives. When, when you demand control over outcomes or circumstances, you try to add a personal sovereignty to your life that, that is God's alone. Committing the sin of worry can come from wanting jurisdiction over events in, in your life. Have you ever run up against something in life and, and you thought, wow, that wasn't very pleasant, and, and, but the, really the response of your heart was, I see no need for this. God, why is this happening? You want to be so in control of the things that when, when, when you, you sense that, that you're not, you wring your mental hands and it produces the, the lather of emotion, frothing worry. On the other hand, it might not be about control at all when you fail to trust god you you lack a faith that you put you put, you should possess and anxiety fills that void where faith should be you don't want to be in control you just don't think anyone's in control including god and that's a lack of faith and when we do that we're responding to to circumstance by by lacking trust in god You know, that's the kind of worry or anxiety that the disciples commonly had. One example, Matthew 8, you could go to a number of them. This is where Jesus was in the boat, and he's asleep, and and they're very concerned, and you probably would have been too, about the circumstance. And they say, save us, Lord, we're perishing. And he said to them, why are you afraid, you men of little faith? In anxiety over their circumstance, and Jesus says the issue is they lacked something. And then he got up and rebuked the winds and the seas, and they became perfectly calm. Jesus commonly rebuked the disciples for little faith or lacking something that they should have had. Now, Jesus is not saying to the disciples, You should have known how to control the seas. He doesn't expect them to be able to control that, but he is expecting them to, to trust in the one who can. And that's the whole point of the of the lesson. That's not that's a lacking something, not an addition of personal lordship. It's just as serious to deal with, but but um, Jesus gives the answer. When you lack faith, you're you're so tempted, the temptations begin to stick, and then you need to add faith to to, to combat it. And I think one of, the, one of the best ways I was thinking about this, how do I know whether I have this the, the anxiety because I want control or because I'm lacking trust in, in the Lord? And, and I think it's the second response that, that you have. Is it a desire for control or is it a deficiency of faith? Well, Well, how you respond after the anxiety really will reveal that. The first response is anxiety. But if the second response is anger then more than likely it's a controlling issue. You want to control your circumstances, and you can't, so you get anxious, and then you get angry whenever God doesn't do something about it. If the natural outcome is fear, then it's probably a faithless worry. That's a fear over no one being in control of a situation. And Paul says neither of them are right, and when God doesn't change your circumstances, you shouldn't get angry or give up. Biblical trust is just the opposite it's a confidence in God that can change that, and that confidence in God is expressed in prayer. And so that's what he says here in verse 6. Look at this command that, that he gives. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. The, the antidote that he gives here, where he comes, is, is prayer. He uses three synonyms for prayer. The word for prayer, supplication, and then request, And he says, that's what you put in the place of of anxiety. That's what will crowd anxiety out of your heart. Paul's not dividing prayer up into three stages, like saying, uh, you know, you do this one, and then you do this one, and then you do this one, and the anxiety is going away. I mean, he says that you do this in everything. And so here's all types of prayer for all types of circumstances, this is like whenever the Bible says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. God's not dividing you up into little compartments. He's saying all of you. He's saying all types of prayer for all types of situations. That's your response. Prayer, uh, which means the intercessory kind. Walter Hansen said, true intercessory prayer for others overcomes anxious thoughts about them. The word petition which means an urgent request to meet to meet a need. It's praying for provision and deliverance. I've prayed plenty of those. And then request. Let your request be made unto God. It, it, it's a command to turn your worries into requests. It means to name a specific item. Lord, I need this. That word request only occurs two other places in the New Testament. When Pilate granted the request for Jesus' crucifixion, And then in 1 John 5.15, which says, And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests which we have asked from Him. Let your requests be made known Is being specific in prayer related to whatever is bringing the worry. It's not just mouthing generalities or, or giving voice to specific desires of the heart. Is to approach God and be specific. Now, in in speaking about this, my friend Joel got to this point in this passage, and and he said something that that I thought was was really helpful. He said, "Look, let, let, let's be honest for a second. This is not a new verse to you. It, it, have you ever tried to pray about worry? You you tried to do what this passage says, and it didn't change anything. You're still worried even after you prayed." <laughs> You have something that you're worried about, and so you have this verse that says pray, and and you do, and nothing changes. You're still worrying. So you pray again, and nothing changes. Maybe you ask others to pray, and nothing changes. Maybe you're tempted to to think, wow, uh, God's promise didn't come through, or I don't know how to do it. Uh, I don't have peace. You know why that happened? Because it's not just prayer that replaces worry. It's prayer with a certain attitude that places worry. It's prayer that humbly submits to God. That's what calms the the waters of worry. Look if you would at verse 6, because here is, is a fundamental key to this passage. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. So there's the prayer and supplication. And you're letting your request be made known to God. But notice it says, with thanksgiving. The key words in this entire phrase describe the necessary attitude and perspective whenever you you pray. An absence of thanksgiving in prayer turns the power off. I mean, you've got your frozen worry in the crockpot of prayer, but you forgot to plug it in if you pray without thanksgiving thanksgiving is the electricity in prayer it's actually it's actually the the power to to dispel the anxiety that's that's there because of what what's happening in your heart whenever whenever you do that if prayer is the essential oil diffuser then thanksgiving is the lavender oil without it you just got water going into the air i mean prayer is not just mouthing words or or going through some ritual, and by doing so, you're going to have peace. Prayer, this kind of prayer, all types of prayer, for whatever the need, you let those requests be made known to God, you do that with thanksgiving, which means that you relinquish your control, which you never had to begin with. That's what soothes and calms the waters of worry. And you acknowledge God's goodness and and his control in, in praying. Prayer about worry that lacks thanksgiving is nothing more than sanctified grumbling most of the time. Walter Hanson said, without thanksgiving, prayer becomes merely a way of complaining to God about all the bad things that that are or might happen. But you add thanksgiving to that and it changes everything. How many of you you know whenever you you have fret or worry, you're supposed to respond in, in prayer? I would say everyone. It's a natural thing for a Christian to do. But how many of you surrender to God and express that attitude in prayer regardless of whether he takes away whatever is causing your anxiety? you see the key there? When you do that, you put a dagger in the heart of anxiety. And Paul cannot imagine the Christian life without, without a constant gratitude toward God. A, a lack of gratitude actually is a sign of unbelief. So how can you be grateful in the midst of threatening worry? You recognize that everything you have is a gift, even the peace, and that God's the giver. And then you verbalize that to to the Lord. Thanksgiving does not mean saying thank you to God. It's an internal posture that says, I know I don't deserve anything. I'm grateful for everything, including your sovereign care over the things that are going on in my life that's causing the anxiety. I mean, in that moment, whenever you get to the place of praying with thanksgiving that Paul's talking about here, you, you answer the question is God absolutely sovereign or is he not? And when you get to the place and say, yes, God is absolutely sovereign, including over whatever is in my life that's causing the circumstance, then the waters of worry turn like glass. And when we worry, we forget his sovereign care over whatever is causing our our anxiety. If he's absolutely sovereign, then he's sovereign even over, over what you're being anxious about. And that even could be the the result of your own sin or somebody else's because God even promises to rule over that. And he'll bring a result that's good, even though the sin itself is not good. If God's not absolutely sovereign, then then we have every reason to be anxious and worry because that means means man is or the devil is. But the sovereignty of God is one of the greatest doctrines of of the Bible. It will bring you unshakable stability. And to pray with thanksgiving means that you arrive at a settled gratefulness for the Lord's sovereignty in everything. And that thankful trust understands that God is in control and he maintains that realm. Worry forgets that God is in control and tries to operate in a realm that that thinks you are. And, And prayer reverses that. Remember, worry is fretting about things that you cannot control. Or can't control right now. You can control your own decisions and you can control your obedience. But once you've done that, then you rest in God who who loves you. I want you to notice something that you may not even pick up in the the English. Notice where these thankful requests are made. All of this has to do with submission to the Lord. Look at verse 6 again. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You're making your request known to God. That translation, which which is probably in all of your Bibles and mine as well, is way too weak for what Paul is is saying here. It's it's not the emphasis that, that Paul puts on it. It's a prepositional phrase that literally means in the presence of God. That's the idea. Your thankful requests are made in God's very company. The, Paul wants you to know, you tell God your, your needs in his very presence. It implies a close personal relationship. And, and so Paul hymns in this, this idea of your relationship to Christ. When he commands you, don't be anxious because the Lord is near, right? The Lord is near, so stop worrying. But if you do worry... Let your requests be made known with a submission. And you're doing that in the very presence of God. In the very presence of God, He's hearing and listening to you. Your petitions are spoken in the very presence of your Heavenly Father. And when you pray, you're not calling out to the universe or some pagan deity that you must attract or appease to speak with. Your petitions are spoken to the one who loves you and who loves to listen. And when you realize that, your your prayers will be accompanied by even more thanksgiving. That's how Paul sets up the verse. Christ is near to us, and we are near to the Father whenever we pray. Jesus uses this same idea in the Sermon on the Mount, the parallel passage that you probably think of whenever you think of Philippians 4. Matthew six thirty one. Do not worry then, saying, what are we to eat or what are we to drink or what are we to wear for clothing? For the Gentiles, unbelievers, eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of all these things. The issue is not the things. God knows you have need of all these things. It's it's eagerly seeking them or trusting God, frothing in worry, we're trusting the Lord. Jesus says the reason that you should not worry is because your Heavenly Father knows and He cares for you. You don't have to live with, a, with anxiety because your Heavenly Father knows and cares. And that's expressed in, that remembrance is expressed in thankful prayer. And that's the kind of prayer that will kill worry. And you say, well, if you're saying God is sovereign even over troubling circumstances... And Jesus says, my heavenly Father already knows my needs before I ask. Then why does Paul say to let my request be made known to God? I mean, is Paul contradicting Jesus here? It's a great question. And the answer is in verse 7. If you go to verse 7. Here's the assured, assurance confirmed. You do this, and it says, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. You pray because that's how the peace comes to you. Paul now tells us the result that we will receive if we follow God's command to pray and pray in this way. It's a peace that guards your heart like soldiers guarding a city. Prayer has a focus, being God, a content, being your needs, your specific requests, an attitude, being thankful submission of surrender, and the result then then is peace. And that peace comes through through the act of prayer. Paul is not contradicting Jesus when he tells us to let a request be made known in the presence of God. He's actually echoing it. When you pray, you're not informing God of your circumstances, are you? I mean, you're not making him aware of whatever it is that you're anxious over. Like, he doesn't already know. Like, like, like hello, I've, I'm troubled over many things right now, Lord. Are you not paying attention? You pour out your request before God because prayer is for you. It's not for Him. It's actually what happens in prayer that makes the difference as it relates to worry. I want you to notice that there is no promise in this passage that God will will do what you ask or even change your circumstances. There's nothing in here about a change of circumstance. The promise is peace, not a change of event. And that may be why you're missing the blessing of this verse. Answered prayer is not what brings peace. God is the one who brings peace. Now, I like it whenever God answers prayer for my circumstances, but I've had God answer my prayer for circumstances and still lack peace because I'm not trusting in God. And instead of your you're worrying over what, what's happening to you. Peace comes from God when you focus on his grace toward you. And that peace of God is promised regardless of whether there's a specific answer to prayer or not. By praying this way in thankful submission, God's peace will, will be powerfully at work in your life as a result. Let me illustrate that for you. Whenever I was having anxiety... I would pray this way, Lord, please take away this anxiety over my heart. I, I don't feel good and it's worrying me. Please take it away. That prayer will only bring peace if the anxiety goes away. Paul says that's not how you pray. Paul says pray this way, Lord, I hate this anxiety. It doesn't feel good at all. You, you, you know my every thought and need before it ever happens. I ask you to change my circumstances, but, but Lord, if you don't, I surrender my life to you. I know you love me, and I'm thankful to know that you're working even in and through this anxiety. I trust you and rest in your promise toward me. The point is not to tell God about your problems that you're fretting over and begging to change them. I mean, you can do that, and I, I do but he already knows your need before you you ask them. Realizing that is where the peaceful power comes from, that he already knows, and then he's already at work. Prayer reorients you to the one who's sovereign even over the things that are causing the anxiety. Prayer is to tell God about those problems in the context of your humble gratefulness for His care and His goodness and His generosity. It's to turn your mind away from your cares to the one who cares for you, and that happens in thankful prayer. And when you do that, you have the alternative to anxiety, which is the peace of God. Verse 7, look at this again. The peace of God. The phrase, the peace of God, is found nowhere else. in in the New Testament. The closest cousin would be Colossians 3, 15, which speaks about the peace of God umpiring your your heart. When the Bible uh, talks about the peace of God, everybody wants peace. This is the peace of God, and it's different than what most people mean. When the Bible talks about the peace related to God, it does so in two ways. The Bible talks about the peace of God and peace with God, two completely different things, but both are represented here. Peace with God is in Romans five one. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing more terrifying than realizing that you're not at peace with God or that God is your enemy. And the Bible declares that through Christ, we can have peace with God objectively. We have peace with God. We've been reconciled to Him. We're no longer under His wrath because... Because of Christ, we're, we're now at peace with, with the Lord. The Reconciliation was made through the blood of his cross. Then there's the peace of God, which is what Paul is talking about here, like in Philippians 4. The peace of God is not the external objective truth that, that we've been made right with him. It's an internal tranquility that he can give us. It's an inner calm that produces an unshakable confidence. Do you remember when Jesus said, "Peace I give unto you, my peace, not peace as the world gives." I mean that verse. He declares there's a different kind of peace. The peace of God, the peace of circumstances, two completely different things. And the peace of Christ is is what should be ruling in your life as a believer. It is peace that meditates and then he distributes to those who are in union with, with him. And this peace is to be ruling in our hearts as we, we live. When we face things in life, we're, we're to have an inner calmness, a belligerent confidence that, that umpires over our hearts. And Paul says that peace transcends all human understanding. That's what he says. It's the peace of God, and it's peace that surpasses all comprehension. It's inexplicable. You've experienced it if you've been a believer. It makes no sense whatsoever. You've been through a funeral. You've been through whatever it is you know the world is falling down around your ears personally or in your family or otherwise there is something that's rocked your world that you know you have no control over whatsoever and there is an internal tranquility that's inexplicable and people that are unbelievers may even look at you and say how can you do that are you on something yeah the holy spirit of god Look at the sphere where this divine protection will will occur. It says, in the peace of God, which is inexplicable to people that are outside of Christ, it surpasses all comprehension. It makes no human sense. It will guard your hearts and minds. It will garrison you. It's a military term. It's to stand guard. That that peace stands guard around the seat of your emotions and your thinking. And that happens in Christ Jesus. There's the sphere. It's not outside of Christ. You won't find this outside of Jesus. You only find this in Christ Jesus. It will garrison around your inner being so it drives out the anxiety. Those who are in union with Christ. God's peace will protect the mind from those very thoughts that lead to fear and distress. That keep you from trusting prayer. That can't be counterfeited or faked. This is something that only believers possess and can muster, and it's what confounds the unbelieving world. So do you have peace? Do you have peace with God? If you don't have peace with God, that's where you need to start. If you've never repented and believed, you shouldn't have peace. The Bible says the way of a transgressor is hard. You will have Hard times in your life outside of Christ. You need to be reconciled. You don't need to be worrying about peace within. You need to be worried about peace with God. You're on a collision course with with the creator of the universe. And you're his enemy. He's your enemy. And the only way to fix that is to have peace with God through Jesus Christ. The blood of his cross can wash away all of your sins. But if you have that, then you need the peace of God. Don't confuse what this passage is saying, though. It doesn't say if you're a believer, you will not be anxious. It tells you what to do when you are. It is not possible to live with the fallen flesh and not have anxiety or worry over things. It's the whole reason these passages are in the Bible, right? Just because there's a command against it tells you that it's going to come. I think sometimes Christian re, Christians read this, especially ones that, that are in worry or struggle with worry or struggle with anxiety, and they read this and they think that they're less of a believer uh, because, because uh, of whatever it's being commanded against. It's not, not at all. In fact, the fact that this command is here and that you're hearing it is an expression of God's love for you. He doesn't want to leave you in the anxiety. This is an explicit instruction for what to do when you become overly anxious. Normal anxieties through the day, ups and downs, are part of living outside of the garden. In fact, that's one of the things that draws God's pity, your weakness in that. God pities us as a father, does a child because of our infirmities. What Paul's talking about here is when those anxious thoughts go beyond temptation, when you desire control or you lack faith, then you turn to this pattern and Paul says, here is where you go to, to stop the spiral by doing this. You might think of it like, like offenses, okay? You will be offended as a believer, but even by other believers. And yet the Bible says, let love cover a multitude of, of sins. People offend you all the time. They fail you all the time. They don't say hi to you. You know, they, they, they do something. They miss your birthday. I don't know, any number of things. Nobody missed my birthday, by the way. You are very gracious to me. People offend you all the time. Your feelings get trampled because we live in a fallen world. And in those cases, the Bible says, let love cover a multitude of sins. You throw a wet blanket of love over the frailties and the offenses of of somebody else. You don't Matthew 18 every one of those things. That's all you would be doing every day. I'm going to show you your fault. I'm going to show you your fault. You've got an issue if that's what you want to do. You manage those things with love. But when you're unable to do that, and the offenses set in where, where you're offended and you can't get over it, then you go to that person. Anxiety is the same way. Anxieties come and go, and you manage those with faith. The shield of faith is thrown up for a a fiery dart of worry and then the fire subsides and you go on about your day. But if anxiety sets in, it's something that's persistent and that can happen for even a believer. Paul says, this is your weapon. This is what you do. You go to God. You pray with a submitted heart. You you, you tell him your request, but you do so in, in submission to him remembering his love and care for you and that he's sovereign over everything and you rest in his all-surpassing, guarding peace. The peace of God that passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Outside of Christ, no peace. Inside of Christ, peace with God and the peace of God. And this is how you put that into practice, won't you, bow your heads? Let me pray for you. Just to ask you a couple of diagnostic questions. Do you have peace with God? Does your conscience bother you? Are inflamed about something? Well, The Bible says that if you come to Christ, he'll Cleanse your conscience from dead works so you can actually serve the living God. You need peace with God. That's where you start. Maybe you've already done that and you like peace of God. Are you trying to take more control or feeling like you should have more control than the Bible says that you actually do? Maybe you need to get off the, the throne as the manager of the universe. Maybe you need to be reminded on the flip side, though, of the good God who actually sits in that place for you. The Lord's not an aloof deity, but your heavenly Father He loves you. And there's not an Adam in the universe that's not obeying his perfect plans for you as his child, even the things that you're concerned about. The Lord's concerned about you, not the things. And so he says pray in this way because he desires to grant you the peace that only he can bring. Father, I come before you and I give you thanks for this truth. And I have felt this type of anxiety and it is an unsettling, unstabling type of thing. I've also had worry over circumstances. In both cases, you have brought me back to a peaceful state through the process of prayer. And it is, Lord, in that moment when I surrender all to you without you changing anything. that's when my heart calms. And I pray that for anyone here who has this type of anxiety or worry. And then I pray, Lord, for those who need to be reconciled to you through Christ that today they would forsake their sin, They would trust in Jesus alone, be cleansed by his blood, and they would turn from their rebellion to you, and the angels in heaven would rejoice. And I ask that and all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.